0: excessive progesterone supplemented in somebody that's in let's say perimenopause in their 40s where they may be getting too much of it all the time and other things can cause weight gain but for most women it's the excess of estrogen coupled with an inherent insulin resistance that has happened over time either because of diet lifestyle sleep problems or maybe you're a little bit PCOS or you've got other hormone problems that may be contributing to it but that causes weight gain. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get driving. Welcome back to this functional life. And we've got some brain candy and I'm going to continue with a continuation of the top reasons and myths about weight gain for women over 40. If you didn't listen to that previous podcast, please go back and listen to the first three. So the next three I'm going to talk about are big, 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 because this is really where we start to define the difference between men and women. Now, most women will tell you if they've ever tried to lose weight, and they had a partner or friend or someone else who's of the other gender persuasion, when they go to do some dietary change, whatever it may be, There's an obvious difference between the way we lose weight relative to men as women. And so what I want to talk to you today is particularly about the sex hormones and particularly about the changes in the sex hormones and how they have an impact on fat weight gain, insulin resistance, and metabolic syndrome and diabetes risk, and specifically around your mitochondrial function, which is the powerhouse inside the cell. So I'm going to cover that today. So we're going to get pretty geeky, but I think this will shed some light And help define some things because lots of stuff gets kind of glossed over, I think, in social media and popular media. And so as women, we get fed a very simplified line of what's happening. And so all of a sudden, we think we're doing the right thing, but they're generalizing at a level that is inappropriate. So what does that mean? So let's talk specifically about the sex hormones and what we're really talking about here. So the first hormone I want to talk about is your estrogen, right? So as humans, we make three different estrogens. We make estradiol, estrone, and estriol. Estradiol is the one that's most associated with the feminizing features of a woman. And it is the one that's most protective and also the strongest hormone out of the suite of three hormones. Estrone which is a kind of a holding tank so your body can produce more estradiol. Estrone can be made in the fat cells and can also be made in your ovaries. And same thing with estradiol. They can be made in your ovaries. Estriol is a much weaker hormone. It is actually produced as we metabolize estrogen and I'll explain what that means. And estriol is not very, very powerful and it's usually really only high when we are pregnant. So these three hormones make up our Estrogen. So as we start to go through maturation, when we are a young woman and we start menstruating, it's actually the rise in body fat that actually stimulates the production of estrogen from the ovaries. And so there is an intimate relationship between body fat and estrogen and the function of our sex organs, right? So that is estrogen in a nutshell, how we produce it. And then over time, as we get older, that production fluctuates as we end up in our 40s and 50s, and we go through perimenopause to menopause. And then it also declines rapidly at menopause, and we get basically ovarian failure or hormone exhaustion where the body is no longer producing estrogen out of the ovaries. So there's another really important counterbalance hormone to this. It's called progesterone. And progesterone is made by the adrenals, and its job is to, just like it sounds, progest, so pro-growth. And its job is to help make sure that the uterine lining is appropriate and well-established for implantation so you could grow a fetus to a baby. And it's the combination of estrogen increasing the blood flow and and the lining of the uterus and progesterone that enable fertility and then also enable us to actually go from an egg and a sperm meeting all the way to a baby. And progesterone's job is to really act as a counterbalance to estrogen. And it fluctuates throughout the month. So of course, as we go into menstruation as a young girl, progesterone also fluctuates. And usually our period tends to be a little bit uncomfortable in the very beginning because there is an imbalance between those hormones. And it's not until that sort of evens out that a lot of our symptoms get a little bit better. So it is not uncommon for a young girl to have very painful, irregular, heavy periods while she's in a state of estrogen dominance as her body sort of gets its rhythm. And that's completely normal. Is it pleasant? Absolutely not. That's the subject for another conversation. So we've got progesterone, and progesterone fluctuates, but it's highest in that second half of your cycle from when you ovulate. So most women are going to have somewhere between a 24 to about a 34-day cycle. Anything within that range is about average. The average, I would say, for most women is about 28 days from the day you start to the day you start again. And in that first week or so, right after you've had your period, your hormones are at their lowest. And then you have a spike of follicular stimulating hormone and estrogen and luteinizing hormone that causes you to ovulate. All of those hormones, the luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone come from the pituitary and kind of tell the ovaries, go. It's the coach. So that's when ovulation happens. And that's when the egg sort of pops out. Think of it as kind of a bat wing fighter popping out and, you know, flying out to, you know, out into space. And then. As the egg travels through the fallopian tubes into the uterus is the second half of the cycle, which is called the luteal phase of the cycle. And it's usually during this time period that we experience most of our kind of perimenopausal symptoms, the moodiness, the cramping, the water weight gain, the cravings, sleep interruptions, all those things that we usually describe as uncomfortable as women. So progesterone's job is to counterbalance estrogen. And usually by the time we hit our 40s, progesterone has nosedived. It's starting to decline rapidly. That's why we have problems with fertilities as we enter our 40s. And hey, I hate to break it to you, but did you know that a that a pregnancy after 30 in the medical literature is considered a geriatric pregnancy? And it's because we were designed to hit sexual maturation and have babies in our 20s. Now, we're living so much longer that You know, we're starting to see a shift in that, but that's really, really how our bodies are designed. So that decline in progesterone may even start a little bit earlier. For me, it started in my late 30s. I started having very obvious symptoms of estrogen dominance, you know, sore breasts, uncomfortable periods, heavier periods, acne along the chin line. All of those can be signs that you're having shifts already. So progesterone's job is to sort of counterbalance, get everything ready in the second half of your cycle. And then at about day 28-ish, all of those hormones rapidly decline. And it's actually, interestingly enough, assumed to be the rapid decline in progesterone that may play a role in like menstrual migraines. Definitely the rapid decline in progesterone after having birth actually is considered part of the reasons why we might see some postpartum. So these hormones fluctuating have huge impacts across the body. So we have estrogen and progesterone. Now, we've got other hormones too that are sex hormones as women. We have our androgens, which are our male hormones. We have DHEA and testosterone are the primary ones, but there's several other ones. And as women, we have those hormones, but they are at much lower levels, right? Compared to men. So those hormones don't fluctuate as wildly, but we have to remember that particularly from testosterone and androstenedione, which is one of the other male androgen hormones, or we'll just call them androgens, right? Because we make them too. Those two hormones can go through an enzymatic process with an a, a enzyme called aromatase and they can make estrogen. So there is an interplay between testosterone, dione, and the production of estrogen. Part of the reason why we actually have the onset of menses at the age we do is because as girls, as we gain body fat, that signals to the body, hey, I have enough body fat to carry a baby. So It is not uncommon if a girl is a little bit heavier and carries more body fat for her to start her period earlier. Likewise, on the flip side, if she's super, super lean, like an athlete, cross-country skier, gymnast, she may be so lean that her body won't start her period because she's not carrying enough body fat. Now, how does that happen? It's the body fat that contains that aromatase enzyme. And the body can actually take your androgens, your testosterone and androstenedione, and make estrogen out of it in the body fat. So it's that interplay here that sets the onset for menses. So I hope your scientific mind is already moving this way. So if that's what starts our period, what about the wildly changing hormones we get after 40? the fluctuation of estrogen, the loss of progesterone, probably the loss of androgen activity, or at least adequate testosterone. So we have a bunch of interplay there and it affects the overall activity of the fat cells. What the research shows is number one, we have to have body fat in order to make estrogen. Okay, that's a given. When we get into our late 30s and early 40s, as progesterone is declining, we see a change in the androgens and other things in the body. And we actually see a increase in some activity. So what's interesting is, okay, we have this other hormone, insulin. And if you've watched my other, my other talks on the myths about weight gain in women over 40, you know that I talked a lot about insulin. And insulin has two jobs, to take fat to the cells to burn, especially muscle cells in the brain. And it also takes it to store so it can package it in the fat cells and make it into fat. So as we get more body fat, we get more insulin, we become more insulin resistant, so we're not listening to it as much, so we have to make more, but high insulin affects a thing called sex hormone binding globulin. So sex hormone binding globulin, think of it this way, it's the taxi cab that drives testosterone around. So our hormones have transport, so it gets into a taxi cab, and then testosterone needs to get let out of sex hormone binding globulin so it can go out and do its action. What's interesting, sex hormone binding globulin is very much tied to high estrogen levels and vice versa. So as you become more insulin resistant, or you get higher and higher insulin levels, particularly post meals, it's also going to lower the amount of sex hormone binding globulin. So the taxi cabs that can drive around testosterone, this causes a dump of estrogen to your symptoms or system. So we dump more estrogen into your system And it contributes to feelings of estrogen excess and symptoms of estrogen excess. Things like I mentioned, sore breasts, heavy periods, fibroids, painful periods, moodiness, sleep interruption. It's the increase in insulin that actually drives some of that estrogen dumping that's already happening in the body, right? So we get an estrogen excess and we get an insulin resistance that are feeding off each other. What happens to a woman when she's in her 40s? We already have a decline in progesterone. However, it's not that simple. So progesterone at really, really high levels, like the second part of your pregnancy, also is what causes the weight gain, significant weight gain that you see during pregnancy. Excess progesterone will also drive insulin resistance also. However, in most instances, because our progesterone drops so much more early than estrogen, we see sort of a mellowing effect of that. So it's not very common for a woman in her 40s to be progesterone excessive. So it's usually not what's driving maybe the insulin resistance and the weight gain. It's usually that sort of loss of progesterone and the excessive amount of estrogen and the excessive insulin resistance that comes from that. And the lowering of sex hormone binding globulin. So most of the time that's accounted for. However, what I often see is people may get put on progesterone prophylactically in their 40s. They may not be Fluctuating that level, they may be over supplemented. And if they are, they could see some insulin resistance and what fat weight gain, even by trying to balance that progesterone. If they haven't fixed the underlying mechanism, which is why I'm trying to train this stuff, because most of the time, a lot of people just think if I'm taking hormones, particularly bioidenticals, it's going to magically fix everything. But the problem is, is you've got the hormones, but you've got the mechanisms underneath happening at the cells themselves that really, really effective excessive progesterone supplemented in somebody that's in, let's say perimenopause in their 40s, where they may be getting too much of it all the time and other things can cause weight gain. But for most women, it's the excess of estrogen coupled with an an inherent insulin resistance that has happened over time, either because of diet, lifestyle, sleep problems, or maybe you're a little bit PCOS or you've got other hormone problems that may be contributing to it. But that causes weight gain, right? So those things cause weight gain. So It is the interplay between insulin and estrogen that also affect it. There's a couple other things that we know. We have receptors for all of our hormones. So all of our hormones have receptors. That means they have keyholes on cells that turn things on. And one of the things that we know is when a woman goes through menopause, the loss, the absolute loss of estrogen also can cause weight gain. So, it is very well researched to show that women, once they go through menopause and they lose particularly estradiol, they actually have a greater risk for diabetes, central adiposity, which is a nice way of saying body fat around the middle, right? The muffin top and weight gain, body composition changes. Actually, we also see things like a reduction in energy expenditure, a reduction in actual locomotion, which is a nice way of saying getting up and moving around. All those things start to occur because we have this change in hormones. It's the excess of estrogen that happens in our 40s and the loss of estrogen that happens in menopause that can be driving some of our weight gain. And the interesting thing, one of the mechanisms your body is actually doing because you have lost the production of estrogen at your ovaries is it's making fat cells So you can make more estrogen out of your testosterone. And so therefore, you get testosterone and androstenedione, you get an uptick in the actions of those hormones because you get a loss of sex hormone binding globulin. So that taxicab that drives testosterone around, it declines with estrogen. So what little androgens you have can actually be utilized at the fat cells to make more estrogen. So it's this really fine dance of enough, not too much. And so again, what I often see in well-meaning practitioners is often they're sort of piecemealing hormones together and trying to drive things up, but they may be causing excessive weight gain, particularly in the woman that might be still cycling. So she hasn't completely petered out and gone through menopause yet, but her hormones are out of whack enough that just trying to add some testosterone and maybe some progesterone ongoing every day, always there at the same level, may be messing with the body's natural mechanism because their estrogen level is circulating wildly behind it. Because here's the thing, when your ovaries peter out, it's kind of like when you've got your, your ketchup bottle and you're trying to squeeze out the last little bit of ketchup that you sort of squeeze it and you get like an even amount out. And then when it gets down to the bottom, you start squeezing it really hard and hitting it and all of a sudden it goes... That's what your ovaries do. It's basically like a ketchup bottle. So it's inconsistent. It's important to note that these hormones have to be in in sync with each other. And it's the relative fluctuation of these hormones that drive it. So when we're looking at trying to manage weight gain and create weight loss that's lasting and permanent, when we're over 40, we can't overlook the actions of progesterone, the estrogens, and testosterone, and the interplay of insulin. And so those all go together. So for every woman, regardless of the other hormone problems that you may have going on, which I'm going to cover in the next couple myths, your change in hormones, the sex hormones is always going to be behind the scenes. It is always going to affect you in some way. We all know women that go through perimenopause and menopause and have no real discernible problems. Maybe they don't gain weight. They don't have any mood issues. They feel great. They sleep fine they may have some other underlying genetic and other predisposing activity that makes those fluctuations less wild. But some of us, like me, had wild fluctuations. I hated my 40s. And it was because there was all this stuff moving behind it. And I could put hormones in and sort of balance it out working with a practitioner, but it didn't necessarily fix all the underlying problems, which is why I went back to get my PhD. I was looking for a lot of things, but I really, really wanted to understand this complex interplay of hormones, particularly at the cells and the interplay between them and why we get stuck with the crap, right? As women, it's not fair. We shouldn't have to get stuck with the crap. All right. So, that was the major myth, right? So, the major myth number four is you got to look at your hormones. Number five is you got to look at your relationship between your sex hormones, particularly estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And insulin is going to play with every single one of those. And to some degree, almost all of us have some level of insulin control that is aberrant or abnormal. We either are, are significantly insulin resistant Or we have hyperinsulinemia after meals. So the insulin resistant person is the person that can eat particular foods, but their insulin has to go higher and higher and higher to get the effort and the action of the cell. So you have to make more and more and more of it because your cell has been glucotoxic. It can't take anymore. It's overwhelmed. And so, that will burn out your pancreas and that's pre-diabetic stages when it gets really pronounced and eventually the pancreas can't make insulin appropriately anymore and then we become very diabetic. The other side of it, and this is what I see often and I would say this was very true for me, is that my insulin would drop and as long as I was sleeping well and other things, my insulin would come down to a fairly normal level. My goal is usually on a fasting serum insulin is to be somewhere between like a 2 and a 7 right? The labs, depending on what lab you look at, will sometimes say a normal insulin is 25. It should never be that high if you're fasting overnight. But anyway, so your insulin should be able to drop when you're not eating and then come up when you eat. So what happens for a lot of people, they are hyperinsulinic, which means that when they do eat, they get this spike of insulin. And if I'm already estrogen dominant or progesterone depleted or estrogen loss in menopause, that insulin's going to have a bigger effect. So when someone eats and they're hyperinsulemic, they're going to produce a ton of insulin post-meal. They may be able to go back down, but they're basically telling the body store fat first. Right. So some people have good insulin control, but it's too excessive post-meal. And that's particularly the case in things like PCOS and estrogen-driven weight gain. We see a lot of that. So it's that interplay between the, the controls of insulin and those fat cells. And then the actions of testosterone and the production of estrogen at the fat cells that sort of get interplaying. And particularly when you're in menopause, they really play together. All right. So that's hormone number three. That's your last or your next, I guess what you would say a miss about weight gain in women over 40. So to recap, it is the loss of or the excess of estrogen that happens. In perimenopause and menopause that causes a insulin resistance and a insulin control mechanism that tells the body to store fat first. And it's the relative ratio of progesterone and estrogen together in their fluctuation throughout the month that controls that mechanism. And too much of any one of those hormones is inappropriate. And As we go through menopause, we have the loss of estrogen, which changes sex hormone binding globulin, the taxicab for testosterone, which allows testosterone to be available so your fat cells can make more estrogen because your ovaries have petered out. And so those are the next myths four, five, and six about weight gain in women over 40. So thanks for listening. Have a functional life. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend, spread the love, and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray, PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.